Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at belief? Hey there, everyone. This is episode four of the Lovable Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. A couple of quick notes before we jump right into the discussion about how to transform your suffering into a deep sense of presence. We're back after taking one week off. I couldn't record last week because I was in Newport Beach, California, giving a series of talks uh, about worthiness, belonging, and purpose. I just want to say to all the wonderful people I met and didn't get a chance to meet at Mariner Elementary, at St. Andrews, and at Pacifica, It was a total joy to be with you. I hope the time was an encouragement to you. I know it was a great encouragement to me. Uh, You've got some of the wisest kids and you're some of the most caring parents I've ever met. I hope our paths cross again. By the way, if you're interested in having me speak to your group or at your event, go to my speaking page at drkellyflanagan.com backslash speaking and reach out to me. My speaking schedule is pretty much full through early March, but I'd love to talk with you about the spring. Now, with regard to this podcast, I just want to remind you again that this is more than a podcast. It's also like a global book club because we're recording these episodes together on Facebook Live. If you'd like to participate in future live conversations, we'd be thrilled to have you join us. Uh, Our next live recording will be on October 25th. That's next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central Time. If you want to be reminded of that and aren't already signed up for my once-a-week newsletter, go to my website, again, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com and sign up in the right sidebar. Uh, in addition to the reminder in next week's email, you'll get a free sample of my book, Lovable, and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto, Turning Your World Upside Down. Speaking of Lovable, if you're still needing to pick up a copy, it's available wherever books are sold in paperback, digital, and audio. So grab yourself a copy, or you can find out more about the book by going to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com. The folks out in Newport Beach reminded me that when this book resonates with you, you want everyone you care about to have a copy, so feel free to pick up a copy for a loved one as well. Now let's get into this episode. There's a lot of good stuff in here that I think you'll be chewing on for a while. For instance, we discussed the difference between pain and suffering, and how pain cannot be avoided, but suffering can be reduced. We talked about the clutter inside of us and around us that contributes to suffering, and we talked about some concrete practices for eliminating it. So here it is, week three of the year of listening, loving, and living, entitled Replacing Suffering with Presence. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Lovable Podcast in week three of the year of listening, loving, and living. We are going to start out this week by talking about your experiences with last week's exercise, which involved cultivating conditions for rest around you and the condition of true rest within you. Then in this week's reading and exercise, we're going to focus on one of the biggest barriers to both of those. We're going to talk about a new and more useful definition of suffering and what we can do to begin easing it immediately. 
Now, before we discuss your experience with last week's exercise, I want to remind us again of what we're doing here and how it's related to lovable. So the premise of lovable is that we're all searching for belonging and purpose in our lives, but we can't truly find them until we have first embraced the worthiness that already exists within us. In other words, our stories must begin with an inner journey back to our truest, worthiest self, and only then can we begin our outward journeys, our relationships, and the things that we want to accomplish with our lives. So these first few months of listening in the year of listening, loving, and living are about taking that inward journey. And what we're doing here at the beginning of these months is trying to cultivate the conditions to go on an inward journey rather than being pulled in so many different directions um, from the outside. So um, that sort of situates what we're doing here. And I want to start off now talking about the previous couple weeks exercises. We can talk about the breathing practices or we can talk about the resting practices, but I want to hear your reactions to how things are going so far. I'll tell you, this week I am, in theory, on vacation. Uh, Last week I I was giving a series of talks out on the West Coast and I came back to a week off from the office and uh, have all these plans to rest. And my wife, knowing me, says, do you think you're really capable of that? Um, Because I think for me in particular, and I think for a lot of us, uh, our, our minds are sort of like, you know, they're like the old steam trains. Um, they're going a mile a minute. And even once we begin to withdraw the fuel, right, the coal, if, if, you, if you will, given the train metaphor, once we withdraw that, it still takes a while for the train to lose its steam um, and to slow down. So um, for me, uh, practicing rest and, and mindfulness for a week isn't enough. Um, it needs to become threaded into life in general. And when I get away from that, it takes me longer than a week even to slow down. So if that's part of what you're experiencing in these in these first couple of weeks already, that is okay. It's normal. Um, and it's going to take some time to begin to rewire how we work and how we think and to really slow down and be prepared for that inner journey. Uh, I'd love to hear people's thoughts if they've also had experiences like that. Um, about how much time it's taken of practice uh, and intentionality in order to to begin to slow down. Heather writes, good morning all from smoky Napa. Holy cow, Heather. um, If you um, let us know how you're doing, what's what's your situation in Napa? I didn't realize that's where you were coming from. Um, I was in Southern California last week and uh, it was almost like being in a different world from you. There was no real trace of Anything going on? I was reminded of what a big state it is. Um, how, are, how are things in Napa for you? Karen writes, I slept for 10 hours straight one night. Does that count? Hee <laughs> hee. Karen, that absolutely counts. Um, giving yourself that sort of sleep as a reset is a game changer. I was just thinking that this morning. Um, I woke up yesterday after a solid nine hours of sleep. First real night of vacation for me. I gave myself a nice night of sleep. Um, I felt more interested in people. <laughs> I felt more patient with my kids. I felt more excited about life. And then last night I stayed up doing some some various odds and ends that I needed to catch up on and about six hours of sleep last night. And I woke up this morning and there was just that the the um, the edges on the world were more dull uh, and I uh, didn't have the patience that I did the day before. And I was just reminded of how much sleep and rest is essential and foundational to anything else that we're doing. Going on an inner journey takes energy, work, focus, patience with ourselves. And so being rested 
and sleeping uh, well as a foundation for that is so essential. So yes, Karen, sleeping for 10 hours counts. It's so important. Kristen K, good to see you, writes, five minutes of mindfulness a day is the most grounded I feel all day and shows me how much the rest of my day is in fast forward. Kristen, thanks for that comment. Yeah, just just practicing for five minutes can give us a sense of contrast, can't it? Um, I was talking to some parents last week and we were talking about how difficult it is to get kids to slow down these days, but if you can, if you can create opportunities, help them create opportunities to slow down and give them just a taste of what it's like to be truly mindful for 10 minutes, they will experience that and want more of that um, because, because they don't realize how harried and rushed and distracted and torn in so many different directions they are. It doesn't feel good. Kids are more anxious and depressed than ever. And so by giving them an alternative to that, you're sort of whetting their appetites for what it can be like to be mindful. So yes, just five minutes a day can begin to grow a practice. Susan writes, I get distracted by the things that, I, that seem urgent and important and pull me away from prioritizing these practices. You know, Susan, that's such a great observation that uh, mindfulness is not valued, presence is not prioritized um, in our culture, in our lives. And so everything else seems to be more urgent and important. And, and what we're really trying to do here is reorient ourselves to a different rhythm of life that is vastly important, in fact, foundational, um, and begin to give it the sense of priority that it deserves. Um, to say that this is the first thing that I do every day because without it, without it, I do not have the tools, the presence, uh, and the attention to go on the journeys that I need to go on in life, whether they're inner or outer journeys. So yes, reorienting our sense of priority is a big part of this. Thank you for that. Julie writes, honestly, it's been tough to lay some ongoing stresses aside. So the timing of this series is good. I've been putting off rest, though not meditation, until I make progress. Yeah, good, Julie. So um, I, I, like, I like that you're distinguishing between those two things, uh, breathing and mindfulness versus rest, that they are two different entities. It's why we talked about them separately. Um, and they both need to be practiced. We can run ourselves ragged and then spend 10 minutes in mindful breathing, uh, but that time is not going to be as, as rich and as helpful as it could be if, um, if we're not rested and entering it with our, our best energy. So um, both of those together are so important. So, and we can't wait. We can't wait until everything else is done, until we've made progress or anything else in order to, to begin that. Julie writes, it's tough to recognize when I need to press on a little and when I need to take a shameless couple of hours to refresh. The mention of five minutes reminds me that midday meditation is so important. Uh, yeah, um, it is, it is a, a challenge right out front to our sense of shame, right? Shame says you are what you do. Uh, you are only as good as the good things you accomplish. So by putting all of those things away, putting them down, choosing to rest, choosing to breathe, choosing to not do, you are already challenging your shame without even having sort of intentionally listened for it and confronted it. You are already beginning to challenge it by doing something that your shame wouldn't have you do. Uh, which is trust that your worthiness is is uh, is steady and consistent regardless of how much you're producing. Brenda writes, I had a busy short on sleep week, so although it is tempting to feel like a failure, I took two days for downtime and slept in today. Brenda, I love it. I love it. 
let's just put it this way, everybody. We are going to fail at rest. <laughs> we are going to fail at mindfulness. Um, they aren't things that we are going to be able to do consistently, um, but they are going to be things that we can always return to. So Brenda, thank you for that acknowledgement and that great example of returning to rest uh, when you had not been doing it for, for several days. Susan writes, thanks, that is so helpful. Also, I think that I tend to come to these practices with a performance mindset and grade myself on how well I am doing. Susan, you're gonna discover, we've talked about this a little bit already, and it's okay that we keep talking about this because we are going to come to these practices with a performance mindset. How well did I do grading ourselves? Um, did I do better than last week or worse than last week? Um, and that performance mindset can undermine the entire practice because it can cause us to give up, feel like a failure. Um, being aware of the performance mindset, ironically, is one of the benefits of mindfulness and rest. It doesn't make the performance mindset go away. It simply makes us more aware of it and thus more free from it. So good job being aware of it, Susan, and just continue to bring that awareness to it. Okay, Joy writes, these small changes are helping me see more beauty and experience more contentment. In the stressful times, I can move from my emotions to my rational thoughts easier. Ooh, that's good. That's good, Joy. I love the idea that with mindfulness and presence, we're sort of able to objectively observe our emotions and our thoughts and make choices about how each informs what we do and how we're reacting to the world. Um, that is a direct result of mindfulness and presence, and I'm so glad to hear that that's what's started to happen for you. Deb writes, these practices are helping me be more mindful of my actions and thoughts. I even use the tool of talking to myself out loud to bring myself back to the moment. Weird, but it worked. Deb, I'm glad my weirdness could help <laughs> help you. Uh, it does feel weird, doesn't it, at first? Uh, but but yeah, uh, Deb's referring to a practice we discussed in the last couple of weeks of, of literally narrating out loud what you're doing in order to return yourself to presence. Uh, I am getting the bread out of the fridge. I'm getting the mayonnaise out of the fridge. I'm spreading the mayonnaise on to the bread with a knife. Literally, if that's what it takes, um, narrating your actions out loud so you can be present to them. Um, so I'm so glad that that's been helpful, Deb. One of the benefits of, of practicing breathing and trying to practice rest is that you begin to become more mindful and aware of the things that get in the way of those those practices. So we're going to start to talk more this week about how to, to remove some of that clutter from our lives. Um, and uh, and so we'll, we'll get into the reading right now. Week three, replacing suffering with presence. I bought an iPad mini. I intended to use it primarily as an e-reader. The idea of carrying all my books around in one place was a dream come true. The future was here. It didn't have flying cars, but it did have portable libraries, and that was enough for me. I'd be able to read whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. I could highlight passages, bookmark and unbookmark pages, make notes and edit them, all without doing any damage to these lovely creations called books. I'd be able to increase the font, which would be better for my eyes, and I could read in the dark. Electronic books were cheaper, and I could have them on demand. The possibilities were endless. Instead, I suffered. Everyone has a different definition of suffering. I have about 15 myself. But here's one that is starting to make more sense to me. Suffering is resistance to what is. Suffering is opposition to the present moment and demand for the next moment. Suffering is having this, but wanting that. Suffering is the search for the next thing. Suffering is the mental roaming we do for what might be. Suffering is, for instance, trying to read something brilliant while wondering about something better. Suffering is opening your iPad, 
settling into a good book for about a minute before remembering the text message you didn't reply to. It's highlighting a perfect passage, emailing it to a friend, and then remembering the other emails you forgot to send. Suffering is spending your reading time in the iBook store looking for the next new release. Suffering is a mind that thinks about what it could be doing rather than what it is doing. In other words, suffering is what my iPad trained me to do for three years. Whether you read books on an iPad or not, the reality is we're all swimming in an increasingly loud and agitating sea of activities and obligations and the voices of business and commerce and news and information. According to former former Google CEO Eric Schmidt, between the birth of the world and 2003, human beings created five exabytes of information. By 2010, we were creating five exabytes every two days. And by 2020, we will be generating 50 times more information daily. Our brains are adjusting to the pace. We turn on push notifications for our phones so we don't fall behind. We reply to text messages as soon as we get them. We have 20 new cha news channels on the television and countless news apps for our tablets. We check email on vacation so we won't have to deal with the tsunami of information when we return. Our minds are like runaway trains, and our hearts are screaming along for the ride. This doesn't end well. In fact, this is how it ends. Several years ago, for Christmas, my wife gave me a paperback called Lila by Marilyn Robinson, a sequel of sorts to one of my favorite novels of all time. At first, I actually considered repurchasing it as an ebook. However, in a moment of blessed clarity, I decided repurchasing a Christmas present would cross a line into crazy I just wasn't willing to traverse. So instead, for the first time in years, I sat down to read a paperback. The prose was powerful, poetry in paragraph form. The pages gave me moments like this, quote, kindness was something he didn't even know he wanted, and here it was. It made him teary and restless, unquote. Phrases to rest upon and sink into, words that can teach you something about yourself if you can only sit still long enough to let them. But my eye brain just couldn't do it. I wanted to flick faster through the pages. I, wanted what I wondered what notifications I was missing. I thought of things I needed to add to my to-do list. I remembered the purchases I wanted to make on Amazon. But more than anything, my mind just wanted something else. It wanted to move faster, do more, have more. Not because what was in front of me wasn't pleasant, but because it had gotten used to wanting something other than what was present. And that is an exquisite kind of suffering. As I looked out the window, useless paperback in hand, lamenting the pace of the world and the speed of my life, I recalled an unseasonably cool summer night in the year before. I remembered sitting beneath a great maple tree, my mind speeding up as the sun went down. I watched the great orb slip slowly, oh so slowly, closer to the horizon, and its rays found their way through the leaves of our shade tree, and they struck my eye, and I blinked myself present. My mind stopped racing around, and instead I looked around. The treetops rustled languidly, birds chirped peacefully, a dog barked sporadically in the distance. The grass stood still, and I became aware. The world isn't moving at an increasingly rapid pace. We humans are. The world is moving at the same pace it always has. It still takes 365 days to lap the sun. The spinning globe still takes 24 hours to return us to where we began. The sun still arcs lazily across the sky, day after day after day. The seasons refuse to be rushed. The world will wind down for winter as it always has. The leaves will gather color and fall to the ground at the same languid pace. The geese will still get a head start on their migration so they won't have to hurry. 
Beneath the frenzy we've created is a world created for slowness and balance and harmony and wholeness and unity. Beneath all the noise is a rhythm beating slow and steady, but we won't find it in our email inboxes or Facebook feeds. Life is chaotic and often overwhelming, but there is a beauty pulsating amidst the mess. There is redemption humming somewhere in the chaos. Our stories are, each and every one of them, sacred and holy. The next scene is always up to us. There's a murmur of grace beneath all things, assuring us that no matter what, we are beautiful and beloved and worthy of love and belonging. Within any moment held mindfully in front of us, we can come closer to touching the reality of life floating still and quiet just beneath the choppy waves of this world. And the reality is this. We are not here to suffer. We are not here to wish for the next thing. We are here to be present to what is. We are here to be present to who we are, to become the love from which we sprang, to give it and to receive it, and to let our souls settle into the eternal peaceful rhythm of the world, which exists somewhere quietly underneath all of our clicking and flicking. So that is the end of this week's reading. There's a lot in there, (laughs) I realize as I'm reading it. So the key sort of thesis, I guess, of this week's reading is that suffering is resistance to what is. Um, There's a key teaching across various traditions. And that teaching is that pain in life as a human being is inevitable, but suffering is not. So for instance, pain is inevitable, but resistance to pain becomes suffering. Um, This is, for instance, one of the ways that we understand some forms of depression, that sadness is inevitable, but resistance to sadness leads to a more intense sadness called depression. Or fear is inevitable in life. In fact, it's good in some ways. We we have it uh, for a reason. But resistance to feeling fear leads to more intense forms of fear like panic and so on and so forth. Um, And so one of the ways that we understand some of our most more intense disorders in some forms is that they represent resistance to pain and and thus a a new kind of suffering altogether. Um, So suffering is resistance to what is. Suffering is any time that we are resisting the present moment, not attending to it, and either, you know, thinking about something that happened in the past or wishing for something in the future or wanting something different for this present moment. Um, that's a complicated, heavy teaching. <laughs> and so I uh, would love to, to hear your reactions to it. Uh, Heather says, redemption humming, on, redemption humming on somewhere in the chaos. That speaks to me today. Calmness, peace is there. Just need to breathe into it. Heather, thank you for that comment. Um, one of the more startling uh, and wonderful revelations of developing a consistent mindfulness practice and beginning to settle into the present moment is the awareness that peace and and calm are always there, that it's the natural state of things, um, and that we are drawn away from that natural state, that in some ways we even resist that natural state um, and create suffering for ourselves by getting caught up in the pace of of life that we create. So, um, so I, uh, your, your practices that we are beginning to engage in will be most fruitful for you if you begin to practice them with the assumption that waiting for you, if you can return to it, is a natural peace and a natural calm in the same way that we are going to trust 
that as we begin to pay attention to that sort of loud, crummy voice of shame within us eventually, we can begin to trust there is a more peaceful, more loving voice of grace just waiting underneath that. Um, that can become a fundamental piece of our faith about the way that the world and human beings are created, is that there is goodness at the bottom of it, if we can be persistent and move toward it. Susan writes, I have FOMO and feel drained trying to keep up with everything online. There is so much helpful there though, and I mainly use my electronics devices for accessing information for spiritual or personal growth. Um, so FOMO is a, a term that's really caught on recently, and that's because so many of us experience it. Fear of missing out. Um, we feel like uh, there is news we're missing out on. We feel like there is good resources, as Susan points out, that we might be missing out on. Um, Susan, you might be anticipating a little bit where we're heading next week, because <laughs> next week I'm going to be talking, uh, we're going to be talking on here and discussing the idea of how sometimes we can use self-help uh, as a way to uh, keep us out of the present moment, constantly thinking about a self we want to be somewhere in the future, rather than beginning to settle into and embracing the self that we have now. Um, and so that does contribute to a fear of missing out, feeling like I might be missing out on some helpful nugget. Um, that might get me where I want to go. Um, so, so yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there. And frankly, the the iPad as a as a resource for reading eBooks, it doesn't do what, it doesn't do to a lot of people what it did to me. For me, it was like, okay, I got this book here, but I've also got a billion other things I can do in the same space, and so I just wasn't able to attend to the book. I've had other people say, nope, it doesn't do that to me, and that's fine. But I'm using it as an example. Of, um, of something that can pull us out of the present moment um, and a challenge to, to begin to, to declutter our life of those things that do tend to pull us out of the present moment. Joy writes, so helpful. I'm getting gold nuggets from all. Oh, good, Joy. Awesome. Uh, scrolling back here. Julie writes, yeah, that was a lot and some nice prose too. While you read, leaf shadows danced on the dusty windows. That was nice too. Coping. I don't want to forget to do things. Mm. So when something will need my attention, if it's a quickie, I do it right away, and it's off my mind. Good. Otherwise, it goes on the list. I like that, Julie, that you can, um, you can either say, you can ju judge something relative to, well, if I can get this done quickly, and it's not going to distract me for too long, I can get it done. Um, otherwise, I need to put it on a to-do list and then put it aside so it's not weighing down on my mind and drawing me out of the present moment. I like that. Um, yeah, I actually realized when I was thinking about the practices that we're about to discuss for this week that some sort of organized to-do list is probably essential um, for being um, present to, to this moment and to what's going on. Otherwise, we're constantly sorting through all the things that we have to do and trying to remember them. So we need a place like a repository for those things so we can return to the present moment. Karen writes, feeling like I take too long to do things. My mind pings the question, I wonder how long everyone else takes at this task, which slows me down more. Karen, wow, you're already, so you're sort of, you're ahead of us here on the path in terms of what we're doing, because this is exactly where we want to get to. We want to be mindful enough, rested enough, and present enough to be able to notice that voice inside that says, I bet everyone else is doing this faster than you. You're not fast enough. 
Uh, you're not good enough. You're not accomplishing enough because that is indeed the voice of shame. So you're already aware of that voice and it's, it's where we're headed in these months of listening. So um, thank you for being ahead of us and calling us forward to that. Deb writes, wow, an aha moment for me, allowing what is and not resisting it. I realize now my resisting is causing me to go elsewhere with my mind in order to avoid. It's still there when I get back. Deb, thank you for that insight. Uh, we can resist the present moment all we want. Um, it just becomes the next present moment, right? And so we have a choice. Um, and we've talked about this already in the last couple of weeks that all change begins with acceptance. You know, you can't really change anything until you have been present to it uh, and you've started to learn what it has to teach you and how you want to change it. Um, but that all starts with not resisting the present moment, but being present to it. So, um, and if you're not, like you said, whatever it is that you're resisting will still be there. So you may as well attend to it. Thank you for that, Deb. Julie writes, the app I use is Todoist, T-O-D-O-I-S-T. It's free. Julie, that's the app I use as well for my to-do list. It is a fantastic app. Um, I don't know how they give you so much functionality um, for free, but they do. There's a premium version that you can get. I've never needed it. Um, it is an amazing app, uh, and uh, I highly recommend it too. Julie writes, you can, sort a, you can sort and schedule easily for others. Paper might be a better solution. Good point, Julie. For some people, having a paper to-do list is a better way to go. Um, for me, my life's so integrated with my phone at this point, even though I often decry the drawbacks of that, uh, that um, paper doesn't make much sense. Having a, an app on my phone makes more sense. Um, but yes, uh, good point. Do what works for you when it comes to a to-do list, but have a place where you can put all those things your mind's constantly thinking you've got to get done, put them, order them, prioritize them, um, and protect the present moment from always having to be consumed by them. Heather writes, I find if I keep up consistently with my bullet journal, it helps keep me centered, which I didn't do last week. <laughs> Back at it this week. Um, Heather, I'd be interested to hear more what you mean by bullet journal. Um, I think that could be beneficial to all of us if, if uh, you want to share a little bit about what that is for you. And maybe someone else may know what a bullet journal is too, and I'm just not, just not hip enough to know. <laughs> Kristen writes, look on Pinterest, lots of examples of bullet journals. <laughs> Got it, Kristen. I should have known, Kristen, that you would know what that, that is. Thank you for um, giving us a resource. So if people are interested in bullet journals, go to, go to Pinterest. Heather writes, it's a type of to-do list slash journal. Awesome. Um, sounds like a more fun way to do to-do lists than the way that I do them, Heather. So thanks for suggesting it. Also, writes Heather, allows me to be creative with my to-do list. Yep. Draw, watercolor, journal, grocery list, everything. I love it. To-do lists are such a stereotypically just a miserable thing, right? Uh, and so to find a way to engage with them creatively from your true self, what a great, what a great way to do it. I love it. And thank you for suggesting it, Heather. I love that, that what is happening is we're already starting to realize the things that pull our mind out of the present and that those things could be our own thoughts. Uh, they could be um, very good things, things that we need to do, priorities. Um, they could be uh, just not wanting to deal with what is going on in the present moment, so a true resistance to it rather than being pulled away from it. Um, but all sorts of different things. For each of us, it's different. Um, and that's, that's so important here that as I go through the practices coming up, we're not talking about a one size fits all solution. We're talking about you being mindful enough of how you're working and how your life works to say, oh, this is the reason 
that I'm having a hard time staying present, or these are the five reasons. And now what am I going to be creative in doing about those things to begin to eliminate them and declutter my life from them? So let's get into the week three practices. Uh, I'll read them and then, and then let's discuss. Week three practice. First breathing, then rest. Now this week we are going to focus on one of the biggest barriers to both. We need to slow down and settle into life like a good paperback book. We need to ruthlessly eliminate informational clutter from our inboxes and obligational clutter from our schedules. We need to start making intentional, thoughtful decisions about what gets in and what we lock out. This week, consider eliminating the digital clutter from your life. Choose one or more of the following activities to engage in this week. 1. Every time you receive an email, ask yourself if it is essential for your presence and wholeness, and then unsubscribe from the mailing list if it does not pass that test. Yes, even mine. 2. Choose one social media platform to engage with. Deactivate all other social media accounts. 3. QWERTY like it's 1999. What I mean by that is, for a week, use your technology as you did in 1999. This might mean using your mobile devices for voice calls only, sending emails and texts from a desktop computer only, or discontinuing use of social media for an entire week. 4. Discontinue your consumption of news. Use your free time to cultivate an activity you once enjoyed before your use of technology replaced it. 5. Make a list of activities you do because you should, not because you want to. Consider discontinuing some or all of them. Nice try. Exercise doesn't count. So those are the five suggested activities for this week. And I see those as sort of like seeds to plant um, in terms of getting you thinking about things that you could be doing to declutter your life from sort of the digital clutter that is so infusing our lives at this point. Um, I'm going to scroll back and pick up a couple of comments and we'll talk more about those. Hannah writes, I love the concept of experiencing pain without suffering. I had a baby less than a month ago, and in preparation for a med-free birth, I read books and practiced relaxing. Hannah, I can't read the rest of your, your comment, um, but I recall that my wife took the same approach to her, her three births, um, and that accepting that pain could be part of it, but that she could relax her way through the pain, um, there, was a, there was sort of a... Um, uh, a reduction, I guess, in the level of suffering, right? And in the, the effort to avoid the pain. Now, I know uh, she was very fortunate to be able to do that, and not, not all women can, um, but it's a great example um, of the difference between pain and suffering. Brenda writes, what is a bulletin journal? I find I don't have time to journal now. I use a passion planner and whiteboards, got a smartphone in December, have trouble managing overusage. All right, so Brenda, that's a good segue into to these practices, so let's let's chat about some of them. Um, all right. Every time you receive an email, ask yourself if it's essential for your presence and wholeness. Um, I started doing this this week. In fact, this is what I recommend. Combine your to-do list with this practice. Um, set a reminder. First of all, do this practice for a week. Um, every time you get an email for at least a week, maybe a month, um, ask yourself, is this an email that I read every week or is it one that I just immediately delete and, and go on to the next thing? Um, if it's one of those that you delete, it's because you, you know, uh, I bought tickets for a concert recently and to buy them you had to sign up for the email list, and, or at least I forgot to uncheck the box that signed me up for the email list. Well, I don't want to get that anymore. So I, this week I've been practicing that. I've unsubscribed from probably about 50 email lists just this week. Um, so consider doing that. 
and then set a reminder in three months on your to-do list uh, to do it again because you'll begin to accumulate mail again that is cluttering up your inbox. Um, so consider doing that uh, as a way to, to begin to declutter literally your digital clutter in your, your email inbox. Um, I talk about choosing one social media platform to engage with and deactivating all others. Um, you might even consider maybe getting rid of all of them for a week or putting pause on all of them, uh, changing your notifications so you're not being notified all the time and just just creating a week of space apart from social media. You might consider that. But don't forget to come back next week for this. <laughs> I know I'm being a hypocrite in some ways here. Um, so let's see. QWERTY like it's 1999. So this this idea, you know, QWERTY is, a, is the uh, official keyboard. That's why it's sort of a, a funny way to say party like it's 1999. QWERTY like it's 1999. Use your technology as if it's 1999. I did this about a year ago when my wife and I went away for our, our week-long anniversary trip. I decided the way I'm going to cultivate presence to her into our time on the trip was to only use technology like it was 1999. So I only made calls from my phone. Um, I didn't do anything else on my phone, no social media, email, texting or anything. I only replied to emails from my laptop in the hotel room, um, didn't move it anywhere with me, acted like it was a desktop computer. Um, I didn't act like it was dial up because <laughs> some things just don't need to be repeated. Um, and. Uh, um, didn't use social media for that week because in 1999, uh, believe it or not, it didn't exist. Um, blogs were just getting started. There was no Facebook, no nothing. So um, so consider using your technology like it's 1999. Give yourself a week of that um, and uh, you'll be startled by how in 1999 we had a, a decent amount of mobile technology and computer technology, but you'll be amazed at how much more cluttered your life is now here. Um, 18 years later than it was back in 1999. Discontinue your consumption of news <laughs> was number four. Uh, so I walk in the house last night, bring him home, my son home from soccer practice, and uh, he. Um, we walk in the door, and I hear my wife. She's uh, making dinner, and I can hear my voice. She's listening to one of my podcast episodes, and I'm like, "Oh no, I don't think I need to listen to that." Um, and she goes, "Well, it was either the news or this." Um, and, uh, and I was reminded by how much good stuff, uh, we don't work into our lives because we are paying attention to news, which is primarily designed to, to show us the bad stuff that's happening in the world. Um, and I wrote a blog post about that today, um, about how, uh, the news is the news, um, and, uh, they're supposed to give us exceptions. Uh, to what's really going on in the world, and so we get a lot of a lot of bad stuff in the news, and instead we can be can be replacing that time with with other um, content, um, podcasts that are informative uh, and helpful, and so on, as an example. And then uh, let's see, making a list of activities you do because you should, not because you want to. Um, I'll give you an example of this, and this is sort of a controversial example, but. When I first realized that I was filling up my life with all the things that I should do, and this isn't digital clutter, um, but uh, I realized uh, one of the things that I'd been doing for years was serving in the church Sunday school, uh, in, you know, in like the four-year-old class. That's not my gifting, um, that I was stretched thin in terms of serving people everywhere else, and that this was something I was doing because you should do it, 
in, in the culture that I was in. And, um, and it wasn't something that I wanted to do. And so, um, there was plenty of other good things I was wanting to do at that time and that energy. And so I redirected it. That could be extended to anything in your life. Uh, at any place in your life, you might discover there are things you're doing because the people around you expect you to be doing them, uh, or, um, things you're doing because the culture around you expects you to be doing them. And you can ask yourself thoughtfully and mindfully, is this something that I want to be a part of my life? Or is it something that I can begin to eliminate so that I make space in my life for the other good things? Heather writes, the news is such a Debbie Downer. I wish they had a news channel that was just good things. Heather, that's a great idea. Uh, that's a great idea. Someone has decided it's not profitable. <laughs> I guarantee you, I guarantee you somewhere they've said, Hey, what about this? And someone said, I don't think we'd get the viewers. Um, and that's, that's an interesting thing because, you know, the human brain seems to be wired to look for danger, uh, right? Where it's a, it's a protective mechanism. We're wired to scan the environment around us for danger. And, and the news sort of sort of takes advantage of that um, by showing us a lot of things constantly that are dangerous. So our, our, our minds are sort of drawn to it. Um, wouldn't it be great if we lived in a world in which we had so cultivated mindfulness of the good things and so began to benefit from that, um, that we, we were sort of hooked on that and would want to watch a channel full of good news. Um, so I, I, I love the idea, um, but I, my guess is for now we're going to have to get our good news from other resources. <laughs> Susan writes, will you be addressing dealing with physical clutter as well? I feel that it is a distraction also. Um, Susan, that is such a great question. And that is so fundamental to me personally, not feeling cluttered that I sometimes forget. Like the, the first thing that has to happen for me in a workspace, um, in a meditative space is it has to be decluttered. It has to be relatively organized. It drives my wife crazy because she likes things to be clean, right? She wants the floors scrubbed. Um, I could sort of care less about that because I can't really see it. Um, I like things to be decluttered. I just like to see everything in its place. That absolutely um, help, is, a, is a precondition for me to feeling like I can be present. Um, now, I don't think we can can wait until our environment is perfectly the way we want it. That could just become another way of putting off being present and mindful. But if we can begin our mindfulness and mindfully um, ordering our environment, decluttering our environment, that can be a way to practice mindfulness itself. Um, so I think it's a great way to begin the practice and to make our environment less cluttered so we're less distracted. Heather uh, writes, once I allowed myself to say no to all of the shoulds, my life became easier. Yeah, I mean, I don't say it so explicitly, but maybe a practice you could add to this week is just make a list of your shoulds. All the things you're doing in your life because you should do it <laughs> um, and begin to decide which of those things could be eliminated and start with the things that you're doing that somebody else could be doing because your should might be someone else's want. So I was taking up a space teaching in that Sunday school class as a should, but there are people out there who want to do that. That's their gifting. That's their passion. They want to step into that role and they can't because here I am filling up the space. So what are places where you're doing what you should that you can step out of? So people who are passionate about doing those things can step into them. It's a good place to start. So let's conclude our discussion of week three right here. We'll follow up on everything we've talked about at the beginning of next week's episode. 
And then we'll focus on week four of the year of listening and loving and living, which is entitled Self-Acceptance is the Foundation of All Self-Improvement. We'll explore how you may be using self-help as a subtle form of self-rejection and how you may need to discontinue some of your efforts to change in order to actually change. Until then, may you cultivate your inward journey by eliminating some of the external clutter from your life, both digital and otherwise. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, Sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable. Yeah.